The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 27, which along with Psalm 23 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, July the 30th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at um, the book of Judges, and we're going to continue with the song that we started yesterday, the song of Deborah after the defeat of Sisera. And then also we're going to continue in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 11 to 20, and then in um, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 22 to 36. So, as I said, we're continuing the song of Deborah that she sang after the defeat by Barak um, of Sisera, the head of the Canaanite army. So the kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. Now just quickly I want to stop and say this Kishon, it's, a, uh, it's actually where um, Elijah ends up spending time during the drought is in the wadi at Kishon. <clears throat> then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of the steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Eber the Kenite. Now who is Jael? Jael's the one who had uh, put the tent peg through the head of the, the king. Of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent bag. With her right hand to the workman's mallet, she struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Now, this is not the kind of poetry <laughs> that we expect to find in the Bible. It's not the kind of poetry most people would write nowadays. This is a little too graphic, a little too gory, a little too celebratory for the death of another person. It tells you something about the wickedness of the people that they were fighting here, that, that Deborah wrote this and that it gets um, enshrined in the Word of God forever. It, it's understandable, but at the same time, there's a, um, I've mentioned this before, there's not to be triumphalism at the death of others. And, and that's one of the things that, are, um, that has been said, that the, uh, the Jews uh, handled the, the drowning of Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea in a very different kind of way than you would expect them to. It, it's not a triumphalism that's allowed there. They're not allowed to celebrate the death of those who died in the Red Sea because they too are created in the image of God. So it's said that the angels began to celebrate and God stopped them for that reason, that, that in spite of the fact that they treated his people badly, the, the bottom line is they are still those who are created in the image of God, and so they're all worth um, mourning at least, um, and certainly you don't celebrate the death of others. So this is um, 
a little bit of a of an anomaly, although there's a psalm that that is equally um, gory in its uh, hopes and expectations. But it, you, you can understand the the sheer humanity of the way that that she feels when she writes this. Is you seeing the victory over this superior army, one is who has oppressed the people for a long period of time. Speaking still of jail, out of the windows she peered. The mother of Cicero. No, I'm sorry. It was the mother of Cicero. The mother of Cicero wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Cicero. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as a spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. So remember, after the defeat of uh, Eglon and, and those tribes, then they had rest for 80 years in that time. <clears throat> this time, it's 40 years the land has rest. And so what a blessing it is when the land has its rest for long periods of time, when there's peace in the land. And, and we, we can't really imagine it very well as Americans because we, we've not experienced any sort of uh, war on our soil for, since 1865, um, we've we've had terrorism come to our soil, but but that's it's very isolated. Typically, when that happens, now the first from seventeen seventy three, I guess seventeen seventy three up through eighteen sixty five, there were quite a few wars fought on American soil. But since that time, our land has has mostly had rest. Um, certainly, that there have been times with in the Indian Wars after that, um, as we mistreated those people. Um, there there have been wars on our soil. Uh, again, minor skirmishes, as it were, as far as not taking over the whole country like has been going on in Ukraine, for instance, um, or that's been in Afghanistan for so many years or Iraq for so many years or in Israel itself. The, it, how wonderful it would be uh, if you were an Israelite to think about having rest in the land for 40 years without bloodshed. Uh, it, it's a great blessing through most of history, it's a great blessing to to experience long periods of time when there's been no war in the land. I mean, if you think even of Britain, even though it's an island, there, certainly in 1940, uh, there was there was a, a great war that was fought there as the um, Nazis blitzed Britain during that entire period of time in 1940. Um, the the wars that that ravaged Europe in World War One and World War Two. I mean, this is, these are more common than uncommon. Is the thing that we actually need to realize. Um, it, it's it's good for us to have the peace that we have. The peace in the land, the rest of the land, is is so taken for granted. I think is probably the best way to say it. I mean, there hasn't been a war in in my lifetime that has affected um, U.S. soil. You know, and I'm 61 years old. Certainly, there have been wars that affected U.S. people because Vietnam happened, and uh, I was born really after the Korean War and before, uh, during Vietnam. I was a kid for most of that, although it lasted quite a long time when we had troops there. And then we've had people in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, in Serbia and Bosnia and all kinds of other places. And and it, it what a blessing it will be to no longer have any of that in the eschaton and in the end times. In the gospel today, it's when they were going, 
uh, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. What the the ones who were going were the uh, the women who were going to tell the disciples that they needed to go to Galilee. And when they had assembled the guards with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. In other words, we'll go ahead and back your story. This is the story you need to tell. We, we can't afford to let this story get out and you can't afford to, to let this happen because otherwise you'll be blamed for this. And so here's some money. You just keep quiet. Here's the story. This is what we need to tell people. If you haven't seen the movie Risen, um, I would highly recommend it. Um, that, along with the series called The Chosen, uh, I highly recommend um, Risen, though. It's Joseph Fiennes, uh, who, whose brother played uh, uh, Voldemort in um, Harry Potter. It's, a, it's an excellent movie, and the plot is this. So it, it's after the resurrection, and the story is getting abroad around Jerusalem and other places that, that the resurrection had happened. And so Pilate then calls Joseph Fines, who is uh, a soldier, and he calls him and says, you were there at the crucifixion. You saw this Galilean, right? Yes, I saw the Galilean. I oversaw the crucifixion, okay? So here's the deal. They're saying that he was resurrected from the dead. I need you to go find the body and conduct a full investigation on this. So the, the rest of the story that is him looking for the body of Jesus, and along the way, he meets the resurrected Jesus. And so it's, it's an excellent movie. I highly recommend it. Risen is its name. So here they've cooked up the story and they've told the soldiers what to do. And the soldiers have every incentive in the world to go along with the story because they had a job to do. <clears throat> so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews until this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I mean, even then, they were doubting whether this was Jesus or not. It, 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 did this really happen? It, it's, it's not that these were the most gullible people in the world. They were not prepared to, to accept the resurrection of Jesus. And, and you can understand why that would be. It had never happened before. So how did he get resurrected? Who resurrected him? I mean, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, I get that, but... Who raised Jesus from the dead? And so you could imagine that they would think, at least some, that tricks were being played on their eyes. And it's still before the Spirit's been poured out on all flesh. I'd love to know who it was that doubted, frankly, at this point. And then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So remember what Satan tried to promise him in the wilderness when when he tempted him. He tried to tempt him with all the kingdoms of the earth. Here, Jesus says, I don't have the kingdoms. I have all the authority. (laughs) It's even greater than having the kingdoms because then you are the authority over those who have the kingdoms. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he he gave them a commission and a promise. And the commission is, the great commission is what this is known as, to go and make disciples. That includes baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything he commanded. 
So it's those are the things the church is given to do. And then the church will send missionaries into some places to do this work. But we're all the church. All of us who belong to Christ Jesus are part of the bride of Christ. And so we are all charged with the responsibility of making disciples. And so the way we choose to do that, in, in most cases, is to bring them into a church. And when I say a church, I don't necessarily mean a building. I mean a body of Christ. And there we baptize them. And then we systematically should be teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. I think that, that it's as simple as that. And then the question becomes, is that what we're doing? Are we teaching people to obey these things, or are we telling them that they're saved all the time? Are we, are we giving them more than encouragement? Are we challenging our people? Because Jesus certainly challenged his disciples all the time. So are we challenging people, or are we letting people just be comfortable? And, and I think that, that can be a big, big issue, and we need to be careful that we are teaching people that obedience to the commandments— is important. It's critical. In fact, it's the mark of a disciple. If you are doing what Jesus commanded, we've gotten so far away from some of these things because we're worried that people will think, well, it takes away from grace. No, grace is, is how we get saved and how we stay saved. But the process of sanctification in our lives, becoming like him in every way, is the most important task we have. It's more important in many ways than, than evangelism because it, it itself becomes evangelism. If you're pursuing Christ-likeness, that will become evangelism because people will notice. In the passage from Acts, remember the Spirit's fallen at Pentecost, the tongues miracle has occurred, people wanted to know what it meant, and Peter quoted from Joel, from his prophecy, to say it means this, it's the fulfillment of the prophecy, and now the question then becomes, what does it mean for us? And so that's exactly what Peter's going to give them. Um, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he's laying out several things here. The first thing he lays out is, who is this man we're talking about? What's happening here with this... um, this outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, he's rela- he says it relates back to Jesus. It all relates back to this Jesus of Nazareth. And you know who he is because you saw the signs and wonders that he did. So you know who it is. That Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So he says th- this is exactly what God had planned was for him to be crucified and then raised from the dead. But, but he goes ahead and says, you crucified And killed by the hands of lawless men. So, yes, it was God's plan, but you are guilty for delivering him up to be crucified and giving him into the hands of lawless men. Who are these lawless men? Well, it was the rabble of the streets who were claiming, who were calling for him to be crucified, but more than that, it was the Romans. Because they're lawless men in the sense that they don't follow God's law. And then he says, God raised him up because it wasn't possible for the grave to hold him. And then he he goes on to to proof text that and say, how do I know this? Because David says this in the Psalms, I saw the Lord always before me, 
for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. David is saying that when Jesus says, I'm with you always, to the, even to the end of the age, David says, that was my experience. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. So what David knew prior to the poor outpouring of the Holy Spirit is exactly what we are to know and to experience in our lives now with the Holy Spirit in us. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. The Holy One is Jesus. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you, may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So what he's saying is, is that, that he says you won't let your Holy One see corruption can't possibly apply to David. Because we know that David died, he was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He says, so this psalm points to Jesus. It's the Jesus you crucified. He's the one that's been resurrected from the dead. That Jesus raised up, and of that we are all—this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We've seen it. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So you want to know the meaning of this? The meaning of this is, is inextricably tied to Jesus of Nazareth. The one who was attested by God in your midst with mighty works and deeds of power and wonders and signs. The one you had crucified, it was God's plan, but you were responsible for carrying out that plan. That one is the one David was speaking about, and he's also the one responsible for what you see here today. It's Jesus. He received the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel talked about, and now you see the fulfillment of that promise right here in your midst. He said, For David didn't ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Peter clearly here remembered that Jesus had used this very same text. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So what he's saying is, is that that he preceded David. That's what Jesus was saying when he quoted this same thing. he's, He's saying that I preceded David because David, the Messiah, who will come after David, can't precede David if he comes from the flesh. And he clearly does precede him because it says the Lord said to my Lord. So that Lord precedes me. And then finally concludes with, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, so he's Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. What a horrific truth to accept. Except he let him off the hook with, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God knew all this was going to happen. You're the agents through whom it happened, and you bear responsibility for that. But God knew that it was going to happen. We didn't see it in the Scriptures. None of us, the disciples, saw it. We didn't believe it when Jesus told us these things. But now we've seen it, and we believe and we know. 
the Spirit being poured out on all flesh changes everything. It's, it's the ultimate game changer because it makes Peter the guy who is uncertain and who is, who is fearful, even though he wants to be brave, changes him. The outpouring of the Spirit does. He becomes a guy who is now bold. The guy he always wanted to be is the guy he will be now because he has fully received the Holy Spirit. And now he can walk in power and strength and fearlessness. That's what we're intended to do as well.